Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey guys, Tennis.com podcast here on a Friday. I'm Ed McGrogan with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner uh, talking about the latest slate of matches going on around, around the world, mostly in the eastern part of the world. Uh, the WTA, ATP, both over there. We'll get to all of them. Start over, though, in Thailand, where Rafael Nadal has come over this week and has pretty much continued on his same sort of Terry's band lately. We've noticed he's Yeah, what's the matter with this guy? He's like he's he's going nuts. He's like <laughs> it's like it's like he's continuing his U.S. Open. Somebody should have told him, "Hey, you, you got your career slam. You can take you can it chill easy. Out. Take it easy for a couple of weeks." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, yeah, he hasn't. He's kind of been following the uh, the old Federer script of a couple of years back, where he was just as dominant in the fall season as he was in the hardcore stretch. So um, he's in the semifinals this event. He's beaten two guys he should really routinely beat, but he's done so in. Pretty commanding fashion, and the big thing was the serve. It seems to be continuing over. So, um, as for Nadal, I just kind of leave it open to you guys. What does this kind of mean? I think, uh, or what do you take about this as as for his stretch going on for the remainder of this season in particular? One, one thing I noticed at the Open after the during the press conference after the final, he was very you know very calm, very sort of focused on showing that he could do something in the. In the last part of the season, he was, you know, pretty honest that he'd never really done much, hadn't never reached the final of the of the World Tour Finals, which is he called that the one big tournament he he'd never won. Um, he sort of had this this look of like of kind of like, all right, I'm determined this time. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue through and, and finish the year strong. And and you know, he's he started out that way. Yeah, he's a young guy. You know, he's loving life. You know, he he. You know, I think I think that U.S. Open win lifted a you know a bit of a I don't know bird. Right word, but but it took a weight off his shoulders because you know people were talking. People had been saying for a couple of years now that yeah, he's a great player, he's great on grass, great on clay, but you know he just really can't do the deal on hard courts. So when you looked at all the things that were in play there, you know, um, you know the U.S. Open title, the title he never won, the whole hard court thing, uh, the whole career Grand Slam, the whole you know is he really you know can he really build on his lead of Federer's and stuff. So it really was a lot of pressure on him there. Actually, there were a lot of. There were a lot of you know checkbox, a lot of boxes he had to check off at that tournament. And you know if he, if he'd gone away from there losing again, it would have really I think really put a damper. I don't think people would be you know this whole thing about who's better, Federer or Nadal, that's really taken on a life of its own now. I don't think that would be conversation now if if Nadal didn't win now. So I think basically that gave him a tremendous emotional boost, and he's young enough so that he can play, he can play like a full strong year, go through. He's young enough to still have the energy. I think. He also he just seems. I would guess after the after the open, just much just more relaxed at least for this moment. You know, his he's Absolutely. got he's done everything now. That must have been a nerve wracking. You know, we we heard how nervous he said he was at the end of the at the end of the open final, even though he he was clearly in control at that point. He was he, he was still pretty pretty nervous about finishing that off because he knew that that was you know that was going to be his best chance, maybe the best chance he would have in his career to to win the open. Now you know now we can look and see maybe he's going to win more of them, but but now he's just got to be he's got to be just feeling like pretty pretty loose at this point. Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I actually noticed or just remembered one thing that for the first time in a couple of years, um, Spain is not in the Davis Cup in contention for usually they play the semifinal right after the open and the past two years right. they've made the they've made the final. And so Nadal who he played in one of those but he was injured the rest of 
point is he definitely would have to kind of save himself. I think he would want to, and I think that would be more important than these fall tournaments. But this year, that's not the case. Spain didn't make the last four. And um, so I think that kind of bodes well if, you kind of, if you'd like to see Nadal really go continue and finish the year just as strong as, he, as he's been accustomed to. And maybe he'll be doing that instead of playing just to stay healthy, which I think a lot of people sort of suspected maybe Nadal would do going forward. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, the Davis Cup, the Davis Cup takes something out of you, and uh, you know, a lot of people are going to say now, see, he doesn't pay to play Davis Cup, which is kind of, kind of, kind of a pity. But uh, Nadal is a big Davis Cup guy. He, you know, he, he like, he likes playing. You know, he trusts his teammates to carry the ball. And he's got a great team, so he's got, you know, Spain, and you know, Spain's got four or five guys who could actually, you know, win the whole thing really, uh, in different combinations, of course, you know, as as teams. So, I, I think that's true, though. I think he hasn't really focused on that. He's got really nothing, nothing. Nope. You there, Pete? We'll try to get Pete back there. Steve, you still around for us? Yeah, I'm still here. Um, I guess the one extra thing I would say about Nadal is 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 this serve. We heard we heard this week the one little piece of news is that Tony, Uncle Tony, um, learned from a Jack Nicholas tape. He he was inspired by that and taught taught Rafa. Basically, the idea is hit hard first and then bring the ball in. And that's I, I guess that's what he's been talking to uh, talking to Rafa about. Yeah, yeah, I, I read that as well. There, um, talking about the, another. Well, while well, me and you are still here at the moment, let's try to even get Pete back. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the another top-ranked player right now is Carolyn Wozniacki. Um, she's on the brink of becoming the world number one. I think if just a few more results go her way, she'll end up taking over the spot from Serena, who uh, has been absent. She won't be playing the next at least the next event in Beijing and possibly further. I think her rest of the outlook for a year is really in question. Mm-hmm. And um, we were wondering earlier in the week if if the number one ranking is more of a curse than anything for Wozniacki, who hasn't won a slam, you know, and is going to be obviously face a lot of heat for that, fairly or unfairly. So what do you um, take away from that, Steve? I know you wrote well, about th- this yeah, I mean, you earlier. Can see, you can definitely see that that happened to Dinara Safina last, when she became number one. It was suddenly she was a villain. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't the real number one. How did she, you know, how did she deserve this? If she'd never won a slam, she never could get away from those questions, and I think that hurt her. And you have to figure that's going to happen to Wozniacki soon. It's going to be, you know, they need a, we need a storyline. Here she is, number one. People will pick up on that. Does she deserve to be number one? How can she be ranked ahead of Serena? But I get the feeling, at least from from watching her at the U.S. Open, that she'll handle it better. She is a steadier. I think she has a steadier personality than the last two women who were in the situation, Yankovic and Safina. She may not she may not thrive there. She may you know she may not be able to beat Serena. She may you know, she may not suddenly win slams. But I think she I think she will hold up under that pressure a little better. Even though like you wrote today, Ed, she was up five love in the third set against Azarenka and, and almost let that slip away. That's not exactly a great sign, but but so far she hasn't seemed to have those sort of mental Meltdowns and that shakiness that some of the other players. Exactly. You know, the whole thing is getting a little. Yes, I am. Uh, The whole thing is getting a little complicated. 
complicated with this number one. It's a little bit like it's become the number one rankings become like the second prize in, in tennis. You know, if you don't win the majors, you get the number one ranking. It's like it's pretty amazing that you're going to have you know, you know, uh, two two very recent number ones. Uh, you know, uh, potential year end number ones, Wozniacki and, and Yankovic, who who have not won a major, you know, not even in their career, never mind in a year. And also Yatsafina, who did not win one, on the way to holding that number one ranking for a while. It's you know the number one val. The value of the number one ranking, I think, is really kind of being diminished before our very eyes because of the, just you know, because of the way things have worked out, and with so many of these women getting that ranking without winning a major. Certainly on the women's tour, I'd say I wouldn't say for the men's tour. Would you agree? With, I mean, the men's tour, I think, has just been established so much. No, the that men's would, tour, is, yeah. No, no, the yeah. men's tour, I don't think it's an issue because the men play. Yeah. You know, the men play all all the time, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, Pete, while we got you back on now, you had a bit of news this morning about Ryan Harrison, who reached the second round of the Open, 18-year-old kid. He turned a lot of heads with his performance, uh, nearly made the third round, had a few match points against Dekovsky, kind of really got the bustle going in the first few days of the Open. He uh, hired a new coach, Martin Dom, and for those of you who might not know who Dom is, and Pete, I'll let you explain and kind of go into how this all progressed well, you know, he's he's a Czech player, and it's kind of funny, but there is kind of like an underground railroad in some way from, you know, to the Baltieri Academy from the Czech Republic. You know, there have been quite a few, including, you know, uh, the recent, recent newlyweds, Radek Stepanek and Nicole Vitasova. So, you know, there's, it, it, you know, Martin Dam has been at the Nick Baltieri Academy, so it's not like Martin Dam is, you know, leaving his home in, Czechos- in Czech Republic to come and coach Ryan Harrison. Uh, Pat Harrison, Ryan's dad, established a very comfortable relation with Martin Dam, who basically has a place at Nick, at Nick Balteri's Academy and also trains there. And I think they've built a relationship over the, the past couple of years where they got comfortable with each other. You know, there's a lot of respect there mutually. That's what Pat Harrison tells me anyway. And they just felt he was the right guy for the job. You know, what's kind of interesting to me about this is that with, with Christian Harrison, Ryan's younger brother, back and playing after uh, some injury problems, you know, he's he's a very talented player. Chris, you know, Ryan Ryan even says he might be better than I am. He might hit a he hits a better ball than I I did at his age, which is you know pretty pretty amazing um, statement. But you know uh, what we're looking at here potentially is all other things aside is like another Brian brothers kind of uh, situation here, except they're not twins, of course. Yet these two kids are very close. The family's very close. And Martin Dam, let's not forget Martin Dam was really you know late in his career became a double specialist. Is his doubles ranking career high, I think it was five or six, which is 35 places higher than his career best singles ranking. So it is kind of an interesting, it is kind of, kind of an interesting choice, and it really, you know, suggests maybe that we're going to see the Harrison brothers as a doubles team sometime within another year or two. Steve, you watched, uh, you and I both watched a little bit, bit of Harrison, especially that Stakovsky match. Is there mm-hmm. something that you think that um, Harrison, I mean, he's obviously very young. He's going to want to improve a lot of things going forward. But what's a particular area of his game that you think he could benefit from some additional coaching or just a new perspective on things? Well, yeah, he's a, the main thing you realize when you watch him is what a great athlete he is. You know, he looks like the kid could have played any sport. He's, he's all over the court. He, he jumps back for overheads that you don't think anybody's going to get. Um, I think the main thing is for a, for a guy with a Western forehand and a two-handed backhand to be able to volley is difficult. He can do it. He can do it because he's a good athlete. He's, he's really quick up there. But it's never going it, to be natural just because of the grips and the way you, and the way you play. But he's, he's tried to do that. He's, he's, he's you know, so far in his career is committed to that. And, 
and has he use, he uses the slice back in. He gets in. He does serve and volley. Serve, serve and volley a lot in that Could match he, against Tukovsky. But um, Steve, I think the main thing. Steve, is, did you try to figure out? Did you guys try to figure out watching him whether he changes his grip or not to volley and to hit that one-handed back? I got to believe he's got to be doing some grip changes here. Were you able to yeah, either yeah. observe that to, or or read anything about he it? He has to change his, change his grip from the two hand to the to the one hand on the backhand side, and that's you know it's just never been. It's never been a natural stroke for anybody. So he's to to keep volleying, I think, and to and to keep moving forward. He's going to have to really work hard on that. And and it's something a lot of players pay pay lip service to. I think they talk about, well, I want to volley more. I want to volley more. But you never, you really rarely see them do it anymore. But I think he wants to. And I think this this coach, and you know, being such a good doubles player, I think this guy. That's a key thing is to is to keep to keep focused on that. To keep committed to to that. Keith, uh, what last thing about Harrison before we take off here? What, what do you have an idea of what his schedule is like in the next coming weeks, even for the next year? Because he obviously got some of his first taste of Grand Slam action. He's been to Grand Slam before, but he got his first real immersion into it at the Open. And I assume that with with this newfound exposure, he's going to be entering into some higher profile events. Do you know what he has in mind for his schedule going forward? Man, he's going to be Mr. Challenger. He's playing a bunch of challengers in California that he's going to play challengers. Um, a couple of those uh, in, in the middle of the country, I think uh, Tennessee or Kentucky. He's, he's got a pretty loaded plate for the fall. He's going right back out there. You know, it's, it's kind of a reality check for him now. You know, he had this, he had this great run there at the Open. You know, he's getting a lot of attention now. Uh, but, you know, I think, it's, I think it's good for him that he made this coaching, uh, not really a change, but added this coaching dimension to his team because Nick Baltieri and his own dad, Pat Harrison, are going to be very involved on an ongoing basis. But really, it's going to be day-to-day. It's going to be these two amigos, you know, kind of going out there and traveling, the, you know, the, the, the murky depths of the challenger circuit, as it were. And I think it's going to be an interesting time for him because, you know, he needs to really back up what he did at the Open, you know. And, and let's, you know, let's remember. A very good win over Lubitsch, and he played really well in that match. And then he sort of, you know, dropped back a little bit. You know, really didn't close out that Sikovsky match. So basically, his ability to close out matches, to win matches in a row, he he knows that. You know, I think he and his team all feel that what he's got to show now is a consistency that he can back up what he's done, that he can go out there, you know, play like play like he owns a place, and 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 maybe get his ranking up high enough to to have a shot at you know direct entry into um, into the Australian Open. All right. Good stuff there. Uh, We'll be back on Monday. That's all for now. We'll be back on Monday looking at the past weekend's uh, events that finished up and then going into next week, the tournaments that are going forward. So tune in to us on Monday. uh, For Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.